podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome back to Hell on Heels podcast. I'm Bryce. Bree is chewing. Amanda's waiting. Very patiently. I'm Bree. I'm Amanda. I scared my baby. Oh, don't scare her. Um, Welcome back, everyone, to episode 26. Yay. How are you guys? I'm doing all right. Honestly, it's been pretty busy with the job, and I'm doing swim lessons and piano lessons on the side, and the podcast. It's been pretty fucking busy, but other than that, I'm doing pretty good. Well, you're like a whole adult. (laughs) Not really. What constitutes a whole adult? She has hobbies. Isn't this a hobby? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> Does that mean I have a hobby? You have a hobby. Oh, Wait, well now I'm an what adult. What is my too. hobby? Piano and swimming and podcast. Well, yeah, but I had those before I... Those like, were childhood hobbies. Yeah. Oh, well, then that's cheating. You got to get something new. The podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. You really think that I could learn piano in six months, then start teaching it? Yes. Sure. I'm sure it's been done before. I didn't actually play an instrument. I did choir. Because mm. it was an easy A. I mean, because <laughs> it was so challenging and my beautiful voice. <laughs> I also did choir, but it's because I like to sing. I tried out for choir and I failed. <laughs> well, to move on from that subject, I did, however, build things today. And I am very tired. Mentally, physically, all of the above. Well, I've been up since four in the morning. So, yes, all of the above. That's gross. Feel that, girl. Listen, I Cody comes that. home on Friday, and I cannot wait for Friday. I am counting down sleeps at this point. I have two more sleeps. <laughs> Don't judge me. That is the only way I'm going to count down anything ever for the rest of my life. Listen, that's how we used to count down for my little sister. Three more sleeps. Two more sleeps. That's actually kind of cute. I like yeah, that. That is so, sweet. So that's now how I'm counting it down for this is two more sleeps, or lack thereof. Let's see, with Annie, I count down to the individual sleeps. Mm. Like now. She's sleeping so I can have some candy and coffee and get ready for the next time she's awake. Oh, well, I can't help you there. <laughs> okay, I have coffee. I've got a lemon uh, a lemon cupcake Girl, thing. you were drinking coffee at fucking five o'clock at night? Yeah. I don't know what I'm you're so sorry. Is. Motherhood must suck. This happened before motherhood. Yeah. Oh, Coffee's the only I'm caffeine. I'm so sorry. Like, I don't drink... I've gotten into a habit of sodas, but for the most part, I drink coffee in the morning and then water all day. And if I don't drink it in the morning, I'll get a headache. So this is mainly my headache coffee. Right. But other than that, I feel way better. I, I, don't, I didn't feel like a person last week. We were all sick. It's gone. It's great. Everyone feels better? Yeah. Everyone still has coughs. But like James, he's going to work tonight. So I don't know how much better he feels, but like sick-wise, he's good. And it wasn't COVID, right? It was just the flu? Mm-hmm. Flu A. I didn't get tested, but James and Annie both tested positive, so why do I need to get tested? I, I think we can make an educated guess here. That's true. That's fair. All right. Any other updates before we um we jump into Bree's story? Nope. No, any. but uh, see the pictures. I haven't gone in yet, but I see a couple pictures and I'm excited, so let's go. All right. In February of 1957... A student of LaSalle College by the name of Frederick Benosis found an old bassinet in a cardboard box at his usual hunting spot. From what I understand, he kind of 
came here two weeks prior and set up a couple traps for rabbits and kind of local small animals and he came back to see if he caught any. Nothing was really out of the ordinary from the looks of where he was standing, so he moved closer. But when he approached it and opened up the cardboard box, he found a young boy wrapped with a thin blanket inside. This is the story of the boy in the box. Benosis is actually reported to have waited a day to contact the police. His reasoning behind this was simply because he thought the boy was a doll at first due to how it looked. Y'all can go ahead and go into the first and second photo. That is the photo of the cardboard box. And I believe from the looks of it, the site that I got it from didn't really confirm what it was, but I think that that's the blanket that the boy was wrapped in inside of it because it doesn't look like the bassinet by any means. And the second picture is of the boy. As soon as he kind of came to his senses and realized that, you know, it may have been a doll, it may have been a kid, he alerted the authorities and investigation started immediately after. The young boy had blue eyes and short hair. Based on analysis, he was confirmed to be only about four or six years old. The young boy was badly beaten and extremely malnourished. Cat, and I hope that I'm pronouncing this right, McAuliffe, something like that, wrote the article 15 Disturbing Facts and Theories About the Boy in the Box and said, quote, He weighed just 30 pounds and stood at only 40.5 inches tall. According to the medical examiner, the boy in the box had the body of a child who was just over two years old, and the x-rays showed evidence of, quote, arrested growth, end quote. And he was also found completely naked at the scene. Yes, Arrested growth? Arrested growth. So that kind of means that he was said to be... So some sources said he was said to be between four and six years old. Some sources said he was said to be be between three and five years old. It really just kind of depends on the source. But by arrested growth, they kind of mean that he was stunted at his growth because he was so malnourished. So he could not grow. Okay. He That's was hard. Uh, it's hard to imagine because he was <clears throat> roughly three or four that you said, and he was only 30 pounds. She's four months old right now, and she's almost 15. So that's just, oh, wow. It's not uncommon for a four-year-old to be 40 pounds, but based on the, I guess, coroner's report, it was uncommon at the time, maybe. But he was extremely malnourished, according to this article. Speaking of the coroner's report, they said that he, or he, or she, or whoever completed the coroner's report, said that he died from massive head wounds. So as I said before, he was severely beaten and he essentially died from these head wounds. There is one theorist who says that he died from drowning and I will kind of get into um, how that plays in a little bit later. One person by the name of Frank Bender believes that the boy in the box might have actually been raised as a girl, which could have been the reason why it was so hard to identify him. Um, McAuliffe described Bender as a forensic artist and co-founder of the Vidoc Society, which was a private group of skilled professionals who were dedicated to solving crimes. 
Bender actually included a sketch of what the boy in the box could have looked like as a girl, according to Bender. And this is kind of his own sketch. It's in the drive. It's number three, I believe. Y'all are welcome to look at it. His theory behind this was supported by the boy's freshly cut hair and suggested pictures that showed his eyebrows were plucked either before or after his death. Matt Bean from CNN.com slash Law Center said a blue corduroy Ivy League cap was found near the boy's body and traced back to a store in South Philadelphia, but nothing to warrant an investigation was ever found for this cap. These are kind of getting into the unfortunate circumstances of this case. There were also scars left on the boy's body, and police even checked hospital records to see if he might have been hospitalized before his death, two months prior, three months prior, five months prior, what have you, but they still could not identify this boy. The police had literally nothing to go off of. They noticed that his hair had been newly cut and thought he, well, hey, he could have been killed in a barbershop. But again, this led to nothing. Do you know if they checked like dental records or anything? Um, I mean, I know he's a child, so he probably didn't have extensive ones. I mean, honestly, that never came up. That's a very good point, but that never came up in my search, in my research for this. So that is a little, I mean, I know that, based on my research that the investigative team and authorities tried to do everything that they could to identify this young boy. Many people came forward trying to identify the boy and police went off of literally anything that they had. In 1961, Kenneth and Irene Dudley had 10 children and were questioned by police investigators. Dudley worked in the carnival, so he and his family traveled frequently trying to find work. Investigators were initially curious whether the Dudleys played a part in the death of the young boy because one of their children actually died as a result of neglect, malnutrition, and exposure. And I'm not 100% sure what exposure means. Could be exposure to some sort the of element. Or, yeah, the elements. Exposure to the elements. What, what does that mean? Like not having a roof over your head, basically. Yeah, like you freeze to death uh, or stuff like that. That makes a lot more sense. Okay. Following her death, the couple, the Dudleys, wrapped their daughter's body up in a blanket and placed it in the woods in Virginia. So like bury your child or something like that? What year Maybe. is this again? Um, this is 1961, but this is when they were investigated, so it was probably a couple years prior. Yeah, um, upon investigation, actually, this part will surprise me even more. Authorities learned that seven out of the Dudley's 10 children died due to neglect and malnutrition. None of them received, none of them received proper burials. Those are not good odds. You're at 70% failure rate right now. Maybe you need to change. Yeah. Honestly, it seems to me that they just don't give a shit about the children, which why the fuck would you have 10 if you're just gonna let seven of them die i don't know well it's it, the 60s yeah. what that's said, well as the 60s and also i don't know in that situation if i feel worse for the seven or the other three because they lived what did they have to live through they were probably extremely malnourished like super skinny just just yeah maybe they were also the favorites oh ten they were all three favorites i would have had at least five that's 50 percent. that's far too high yeah one of them five are gonna let you down uh-huh 
that's their insurance policy, the parents' insurance yeah. policy. They got to have some of them. Yeah. If you have 10, you can pick like two or three good ones. Yeah. Like, see, I've got one and a half. So I've only, I, like, I have to love them both. Just in case. Yeah. Because you need one of them to become a doctor to take exactly. care of you in your old age. Yeah. So I'm, you got. I'm sorry. You said a half? My stepson. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sometimes I refer to him as half. Sometimes I refer to him as, uh, well, most of the time I refer to him as pre-grown. I got my kids pre-grown because he was eight when me and James got married. So I missed out on the hard part and I'm getting it all now. You're wishing this one was pre-grown, aren't you? I don't think yeah. you're missing the hard part. I'm pretty sure the teenage years are the hard part. Jack will be easy. He'll be an easy because he's just such a responsible kid. This one, let's just keep going with the story. I don't want to think <laughs> about it. Police investigations led to no possible connections with the Dudleys and the boy in the box. Another possible lead came from when medical examiner Remington Bristow gave a psychic the bassinet. The psychic described seeing a foster home in which she had never been to. Bristow actually went here himself in 1961 and found a bassinet box similar to the one the boy was found in and blankets similar to the one that was that wrapped the young boy, but no incriminating evidence was ever found. So sorry to burst your bubble. However, Bristow continued his investigation into this case for more than 36 years. His theory was that the boy had been abandoned and not actually murdered in cold blood. His supporting evidence to this was that was the boy's freshly cut hair and trimmed nails. Bristow believes the boy may have simply had an accident, such as falling down the stairs, and died shortly after. Following this theory, the family did not say anything because it became a huge story, literally huge, and didn't, they just didn't want to be charged with murder. He thought the boy in the box could have belonged to the daughter of the couple who lived near the foster home, and the boy was born out of wedlock. This theory suggested that the boy was abandoned because the couple found out and did not want their daughter being exposed as a single mother. However, the case closed. The case closed in 1993 when Bristow passed away, but reopened shortly after in 98 when a writer by the name of Ron Avery, along with Philadelphia police captain Pat Dempsey and Augustine, who was a veteran intrigued by the case, got word of it from a segment featuring the case in something called America's Most Wanted. And from what I understand about this, it was kind of a television show that aired maybe. Wait, 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 hold up. You don't wait. know what, what America's Most Wanted is? You don't know? With John Walsh? All right, educate me. No, I don't want I've to. I've never actually heard of it. It's, this was my childhood. Everything. Yes, every two thousands, baby. This is nineties. So wasn't what? a thing. Wasn't a thing in the two thousands. Just gonna say, all you Gen Zers out there, I'm with you. Although technically, I'm a millennial because I was born in ninety nine, and so pen well, research. You're not a, no, we already established this. Says, pen research says that I am a millennial, so I am a millennial. We looked is at this. It wasn't pen, but it, that same place that you were telling us did not say you were a millennial. It said that you were not. Millennials stop I... at 96. I am telling you 110%, 96 is the cutoff. Also, Brie, you have to think about if there's 40 different references that say 96, you can't hang on to the only one that tries to say 99. I, I didn't. I actually looked up couple one. Wait, I got this. We've, do we've done this tango before. 
But America's Most Wanted is, uh, it ran from 1988 to 2012. And it was with John Walsh. And he originally started it because his son got abducted. And that's a whole messed up story. And I'll go mm -hmm. into that. I'm claiming it now. I'll do that story lately. Yes, please. I'll do that story later because it was really messed up. But that's how it all started. His son got abducted and he started okay. this show looking for him. And I think it was like every week they would show these I mean, murderers, thugs, uh, you know, gangbangers, all kinds of bad people that were the most wanted by the FBI. And they would air them on the show and people would call in and tell them like, hey, I saw him in this state, in this city. And a lot of people ended up being caught from it. But they had like reenactments of their crimes that they did. It was a really good it's show. It's like the original well, like, true crime television mm -hmm. show. Okay. Yeah. So from what I understand, this was maybe kind of an out of the ordinary story. Because it only showed, it only kind of described the boy in the box and just kind of the theories behind it. It didn't necessarily say, like, this is the person who did it, you know, go and find him. I think he did have those episodes. If I remember correctly, he had those episodes as well. But it was more like, if you have any information, call whatever number. Yeah. Kind of like the original, like Bryce said, the original true crime, the original, like, crime stoppers kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad so you brought that So now that we've up. got that out of the way. Yeah, that just brought me back to my childhood. Um, thank you. That shame. Thank you very much for that. In February of 1998, Augustine went back to the old foster house to see if they could get any possible leads that supported Bristow's theory. He was greeted by Arthur Nicoletti, who was head of the foster home nearby until roughly the 1860s. A woman accompanied Nicoletti, who identified herself as Anna Marie, his wife. Get this, she was also his stepdaughter. Huh? And the same woman Bristow suspected to have ditched the young boy in the box. Come again? So she was his wife, his stepdaughter, and a possible suspect. This okay. feels <clears throat> wrong. I understand that it is just a stepchild, so there's no actual relation there, but that's still wrong. Not not great. I don't like it. You were married to her mother. Yeah. Did you groom her? Is that what happened? So from what I understand, Nicoletti and his stepdaughter married after his wife had passed. They were both extremely sad about what had happened. And they both kind of... But still, it is wrong. So get this. When asked if Anna Marie had a child who died in 1957, she actually said yes. Which if you remember correctly, was the exact year the boy in the box died. Into her child. Fishy. However, confirmed by records at the morgue, her son died from being electrocuted while sitting on one of those nickel rides you kind of see at the mall, you know, where you just put in a nickel or a quarter or what have you. And there just you, know, a loose you can wire ride on it, it for... Yeah. Oh, Literally God. was... Their kid was electrocuted hey, from that. Kids can get covid and cooties from those rides and now they can be electrocuted don't let annie on them yeah uh we got everything we need here that's cool so in november of 1998 the boy was exhumed from his grave bean said that samples of his bone and teeth were removed for dna analysis however nothing came back positive and yet again police were left in the dark a few months after the death of the boy in the box a this is back in 57 a 10-year-old boy was intrigued by the story. However, being 10 years old, he really couldn't do anything about it. And later in 98, he too was reminded of the story. 
after watching it air on America's Most Wanted. He ended up, what? No, I just whooped. Oh, <laughs> okay. He ended up creating a website in 99 specifically for the boy in the box that apparently had millions of viewers, according to a few sources that I found, but I could not find this website anywhere. I don't know if that's due to the fact that it's just kind of one of those things that, you know, it happened, but it didn't actually happen, you know, or if it's just kind of not on the internet anymore, which doesn't really make any sense. So following this, another possible lead started back and and again, I'm kind of going back in time and then I'll go back to the present day. So I apologize for that. Another possible lead started back in 55 before the boy in the box was ever found when a young girl named Martha was only 11 years old. And this is kind of going back to the, the, the later time, not really present day. I know I said that before, but sorry. Um, in May of 2002, Martha, a patient at a converted house in Cincinnati, phoned her psychiatrist, demanding to get in touch with the Philadelphia Heart Homicide Unit regarding the case. And from what I read a converted house is really only a house that's kind of split apart into multiple units so I was very confused when I read patients I know that she does have a kind of series a history of mental illnesses but I was very confused when it said patient so if you are too I'm sorry I can't explain that to you um Anyway, when the Philadelphia unit came in, she told investigators that back in 1955, her mother drove her to a home where she handed over an envelope in exchange for a young boy. This envelope was said by Martha to have cash in it, but she wasn't 100% sure. She kind of thought it did, but may not have had cash in it. So she bought a child exactly she bought the child okay that seems normal to do they drove back home and and hold on time out though technically with surrogacy and ivf you're buying a child yeah but in a much better way well this just just feels wrong but could you at least get a receipt just in case you need to return it what is the exchange policy yeah (laughs) Okay, go on. Do you get your money back or do you get store credit? After adopting a child, do I need a receipt to return (laughs) the child? I think that's the birth certificate. Ah, you're probably right. Yeah. I I don't know. But anyways, um, they drove back home and the boy, whom they called Jonathan, lived with them. The boy, and this is a direct quote from Bean himself was raised in a squalor in the basement with a drain for a bathroom and a makeshift bed amid the cold bins and discarded cardboard cartons. Martha claimed that her mother regularly sexually abused her and had purchased the child to do the same to him. End quote. Purchased a child specifically to abuse it? That's where it feels extra wrong. Yeah. Extra wrong. Extra wrong. Yeah. I agree. It's really sad. Just. I mean, as I said from the very beginning, this boy had deep bruises. He was badly beaten. He was, what was the other word I said? 
he was a pretty much a victim and this he was a victim in this entire situation and it's just so sad that I don't want to say because he was so young because this literally could have happened to anybody you know it's just sad to think that that could have happened you know I know that it was so long ago but yeah but I hope that we learned from it Mm -hmm. if anything um Anyway, Martha goes on to say that Jonathan threw up in the bathtub one day while taking a bath, and her mother was so angry that she drove the both of them into Philadelphia to dump the child on the side of the road. And this kind of goes back to the theorist who said that this the boy in the box died in the water or drowned, died in the water. He drowns. Um, because he actually did the coroner's report the coroner's report came back to say that the boy actually did have prunes like fingers just as if you know you were in a bathtub or if you were in a swimming pool or in the water for a prolonged period of time police actually found martha's story worthwhile because she could recount details about the boy that were never released to the public and this was given 45 years later So these facts were literally never released to the public, and she still knew of them, such as the facts that he ate beans for his last meal, and he took a bath extremely recently to his death. The autopsy report showed beans not yet digested in his stomach and prunes like fingers, and I know I just said this, like what happens when you're in the water for an extended period of time. And her psychiatrist actually backed up this story, saying that Martha had recounted it back saying that Martha had recounted it to her in 89. However, due to doctor-patient confidentiality, could not really say anything because the incident had already happened and she didn't commit it, nor was she thinking about harming anyone else. However, apparently the psychiatrist did not record any notes because no notes were ever found. And I don't know if that's just because they weren't recorded or because they were never written. Or just because it was so long ago that, you know, they just discarded them. But I feel like I personally would keep these types of notes if I were a psychiatrist because, well, you know, it's incriminating evidence against a story that literally broke billions of hearts across the entire world. But, you know, is what it is. Um, Without these notes, police could not verify this testimony because Martha was seen as an unreliable witness due to her history of mental illness. Augustine said, if we had notes, that would be a different story. If we could just prove one thing about it, we'd have it solved. And if we could just disprove one thing, we'd throw her tip in the garbage. End quote. This her tip. Her t- yeah. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. sorry. I mean, like the, okay. This case is still unsolved to this day. Recently, facial reconstruction artists released multiple photos of what the boy may have looked like before his head wounds. And these are the final three pictures. Um, Honestly, I'll tell you that I'm not, I'm guessing that the first picture came first. It looks like the second picture came third and the third picture came second. I'm not 100% sure. I'm honestly not 100% sure if that's correct, but based on kind of the reconstruction, it looks like that in a way i'm not an expert by any means so don't trust me 100 but you can make your own theories it kind of looks like the out of the last three the first one was first second one was third the 
Anyways, multiple artists came up with possible reconstructions for this boy's face before his possible head wounds that ended up causing his demise. If you have any information surrounding this case and the famous boy in the box, his death may finally be avenged and be at peace wherever you go after death, whatever that may be. And I thought that this was kind of a, I I don't know the word, sentimental note to end on. Um, When the boy in the box was first buried, Philadelphia detectives ended up paying for his funeral because nobody claims him. Nobody claims the crime. Nobody claimed anything. This entire thing was just up in the air. The detectives marked his grave. Heavenly Father, bless this unknown boy. And after his body was exhumed, the headstone changed to read America's Unknown Child. And that's the end. God, I know. Rick my heart out. Mm -hmm. It's sweet that they gave him a funeral, though. That's like, it's not necessary by any means, but I mean, like, yeah, in accordance of their jobs, but like mad respect to them for that. I assume that, you know, some of these police officers were dads or hopefully at the time were moms. And, you know, they, they wanted to do what was right. They wanted to make sure that, you know, if that ever happened to their kid, that their kid would also get justice. Yeah, it's sad. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. But that is the end of The Boy in the Box. And I hope y'all enjoyed it. That's good. That's good. Okay, are you guys ready? Yeah. Okay. Yes. I'm really excited for my story. <laughs> so I actually, I had nothing to do while Cody was out of town. <gasps> Did you just realize what my story is? Okay. I had nothing to do, so I completely changed what I was doing because I started reading about this and I was like, this is even better. So <laughs> so the story we're going to go over. So this story actually took place in the 19th century, reportedly even capturing the attention of Andrew Jackson, the seventh president of the United States. During Jackson's time as a general in the military, he and his company rode to Nashville towards, um, rode through Nashville towards Adam, Adams, Tennessee. The men rode horseback and were following a wagon. As they approached near their investigation site, the wagon abruptly stops. The road was smooth and there was no reason for the wagon to be halted. It wasn't muddy, anything like that. And the horses pulling the wagon, they couldn't do anything. Like they were, they were whipping them with all their might and there was just nothing the horses could do. Um, The wagon would not move. The men take the wheels off of the wagon itself and just check and everything's rotating as it should be. So all the wheels are in working condition. Um, it's just as if they're welded to the ground. So the horses are like, they're trying to pull, uh-huh. but that's So that's the crazy. wheels are basically okay. like, they're saying it's like it's welded to the ground. And General Jackson and his men um, all, or I'm sorry, I already said that. General Jackson was so frustrated and he exclaimed, by the eternal boys, it is the witch. Then a sound came from the bushes, could be, and it could be heard saying, all right, General, let the wagon move on and I will see you again tonight. General Jackson... No, no shit. Will- that is fucking creepy. What they they fucking move. I don't know what to do now. I can just stay here and not see you tonight. But yeah, I don't want to stay I here mean, either. All, all he had to do was just move on, but then he would I- Generals <laughs> General Jackson's men, they couldn't identify where the voice had come from. And then the horses and the wagon suddenly started going forward smoothly towards their destination. This is the <laughs> This is when they were wow. headed to investigate the the bell witch yes brie 
I'm sorry, didn't you just say that the noise came from the bushes? Then they couldn't investigate which bush? They don't know exactly who it was, what it was? Oh, okay, who it was. I thought you meant as in, like, where it was. All right, this is the story of the Bell Witch Haunting. I'm super excited. Now, before I get too far into the story, I am just going to give the biggest shout out to the Bell Witch site, which is bellwitch.org, because holy shit, the amount of information that they had, it was phenomenal. So I got a ton of information from there. So if you want more information, definitely go to that website, which is just bellwitch.org. And she did, he did, they did, I don't know who it is. They did a phenomenal job um, laying everything out. Okay. So this is the story that inspired the Blair Witch Project, a film released in 1999. There are several other movies created surrounding the Bell Witch. And the supernatural abilities attributed to the Bell Witch are compared to that of the Jinn, or some of the versions are that of vampire lore. Interesting. I can see a gin. What? Uh, I don't know what much about this. What is a the... gin? Like a genie, basically. Yeah, so yeah. like a supernatural being. Uh, one. It's all but I didn't thing. think that a genie was a supernatural being. Is that what it's considered? Yeah. Oh. Like okay. genie in Aladdin with magic and three wishes? That's definitely supernatural. Like genie, genie in a bottle, baby? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Thank God someone got that reference, because I was like, they better. Yes. Okay. They better. Um, we're going to be talking about our own genie. She's just not in a bottle. So the Bell Witch is folklore. It is centered in Southern United States and it's around the Bell family. Now I'm about to get into a ton of background. And the reason I'm going into it is I just want to establish the credibility of the people involved in this case. It's not just one or two people making up the story. Like there is a significant amount of fairly well-respected people, including people such as our seventh president, Andrew Jackson, that have had encounters with this being. So We're going to start with, and most of my background is going to focus on the Bell family. Actually, all of my background is going to focus on the Bell family. And so that starts with farmer John Bell Sr. And he was born in 1770, and he married Lucy Bell, the mother, obviously, who was born in 1770. Now, John was born in Edgecombe County, North Carolina. He apprenticed as a barrel maker and later pursued a career in farming. Um, So he did become Farmer John. Um, Lucy uh, was originally Lucy Williams. And they got married in 1782 and they settled on a farm um, that Bell had purchased earlier. That farm that they had settled on actually prospered for eight years. Like it was a great farm. They didn't have any any issues. They were well respected in the area. Um, But in 1801, their crops failed for the season. And then again in 1804, their crops failed. So after their two failed crops, they decided, okay, let's move west. um, As a lot of their friends had already done. In the winter of 1804 or 1805, right around there, the Bells moved to an area called the Barren Plains, and the family settles in their home along the Red River. Um, And the Red River, where they were located, was not far from present-day town of Adams, Tennessee. John Bell, he would later become an elder of the Red River Baptist Church. He eventually was excommunicated from the same church, and this could have been because of the disturbances he was experiencing with the Bell Witch, or it could have been from some shady business deals John made. So that's not clear why he was excommunicated. But John and Lucy would go on to have a total of nine kids. What's up? What kind of shady business deal did he have? It's not clear. Because it's not clear why he was um, excommunicated. That's just one theory. So okay. I got John you. and Lucy go on to have a total of nine kids. And I'm going to go into Holy all of their kids. Fuck. Uh-huh. So their oldest son, Jesse Bell, born in ni- or 1790, 
He actually joined the Tennessee Militia in 1814, and he fought in Creek Indian War, the Battle of Horseshoe Bend, and New Orleans, um, and the Battle of New Orleans under actual Andrew Jackson. So um, he married Martha Gunn in September of 1817, um, and then their next son, John Bell Jr., and these are very brief for them. There's not, like, a ton to go into them. But their next son, John Bell Jr., born in 19, not 19, 1793. He was also part of the Tennessee militia. He also fought in the Battle of Horseshoe Bend and the Battle of New Orleans as well. Uh, John Bell married Elizabeth Gunn in 1828, and they had a total of six kids. Drury Bell, 1796. He also joined the Tennessee militia. He did, um, he did fight in the Battle of New Orleans and possibly Horseshoe Bend. He was a lifelong bachelor. He did become a successful farmer. He had a total of six slaves, but potentially he didn't own the land he farmed on. So he just, that was like his property. I don't like that verbiage for it. But, um, but these slaves did build their own place of worship near Drury Bell's home um, that they actually called Bell's Chapel. So it, from what I could find, he treated his slaves well. I don't know if that's. Well, as yes. one can treat somebody yes. as well as someone can treat someone when they still consider your property so their next child is esther bell esther bell porter um porter a married name uh she was born 1800 yes i knew you would like that <laughs> hey that's me i'm brianna porter nice to meet you yeah so she married alexander bennett porter in 1817 they had a total of 12 children several of their kids died during birth or at young ages but i couldn't find an exact number how many made it into adulthood? Zadok Bell, another son, born in 1803. He became a lawyer. He married Catherine Lawrence. Um, and Amanda, I think you'll appreciate this. He moved to Mobile, Alabama in 1825. I have something oh, for hey! both of you. So we got the Porters and the Mobile, Alabama stuff. So Zadok actually didn't have any encounters with the witch. And he did die at the young age of 23. So he didn't have a long life. And it's not clear if he didn't have encounters with the witch, witch because he was in Alabama. Well, I guess it's just not clear. And then Betsy Bell, the youngest daughter and possibly the favorite daughter of John's, was born in 1806. Betsy was engaged to Joshua Garner, but broke it off in 1821. She later goes on to marry her school teacher, Richard Powell, in 1824. He was 11 years her senior. She's the witch. That no. seems... Um... She goes on to have eight children, but only four of her children make it to adulthood. Uh, you then have Richard Bell, who was born in 1811. Uh, he would actually go on to be married three separate times, have two children. He was a successful farmer, um, and he was only six years old when the story takes place, so he doesn't have lots of memories. Then you have Joel. He was married twice, had 14 kids. Uh, he was too young to remember the disturbances as well. And then their final child, I actually could not find information on it. I only saw references of a child named Benjamin, so I believe this is their last child, but this would be the youngest also. I don't know if they made it past um, childhood and into adulthood. I, I don't know. I just know that several stories referenced a Benjamin. Yes. Sure. Quick, quick question. Sorry, that didn't go through. Um, so, you know, from the first person that you read off, I started, you know, writing down the number of the grandchildren. So you're telling me that this couple had fucking nine children. They only had... 10 grandchildren, I would be pretty fucking disappointed if I had nine fucking children and I only got one extra grandchild out of it. Well, one of their kids had 12 total. And so I, I, thought had you, eight. I thought you said that one, the, the yeah, first but one I was not that, too, the last one had 
eight minus four because only four of them ended up surviving. Yeah, so the first one had six. Six. Um, One of them I didn't. Yeah, because one of them had six. One of them had 12, but some of them didn't make it to adulthood. I don't know how many that is. Okay, so we'll say minus one third. So So, possibly. Yes. And then four. But I mean, but they still had those grandkids. Why would they be disappointed even though some of them have passed away before adulthood? They still had the grandkids. I don't know. I at that well, time, you know, I would expect for all of my grand for all of my kids to have grandkids. You know, they had nine kids. Yeah, but the adulthood. the problem is getting them to to live. Yeah, the mortality rate for kids and children back then was mm-hmm. not great. I mean, the mortality rate for people in general, I think, but was I just mean, pretty low. Given in the. I'm just going to say the grandkids like, don't even matter in the story. That's just, I'm trying to okay. give background on the people so that you understand, like, they go on to live pretty normal lives. And most of them are fairly, they're successful farmers. They served in the military. They, um, one of them was a lawyer. Like, they're, they're not people that are, like, outcast or anything like that. That's my point of going over that. So they're generally pretty well respected. 1817, the Bell family of this Robertson County, Tennessee, they began experiencing poltergeist experiences. They were under attack by a mostly invisible entity. It was able to speak, affect the physical environment, shapeshift, was clairvoyant, and could uh, either move exceptionally fast and or be in two places at once. Yes. What is mostly invisible? Um, it could affect... So and they why? It doesn't actually go into mostly invisible uh, too much, but from what I understood is that on occasion, like they could see like outlines of it, but they couldn't actually make out like a face and um and features of that nature. Okay, if you ask me, that's even more. So it had an invisibility creepy. cloak on. Sorry, we both just said that at the same. Oh yes, so, I don't like that at all. Um, <laughs> my only thing is it's able to shape shift. Um, uh, it can speak. It's super fast. Um, let me guess. Also known can it as a bell into a bird? Yes, actually. <laughs> I was going to say it's a skinwalker. That is not where I was going yet. <laughs> so I'm just saying it's for sure he's a skinwalker. Like it meets oh, basically all shit. that criteria. Now the first experience they have, it starts with Farmer John. And he sees a strange creature that he thought resembled a dog. But it had the head of a rabbit. So body of a dog, head of a rabbit. So you're telling me that it had... Okay, so honestly, right now, what I'm imagining is the body of a fucking Great Dane, huge as fuck, right? Small ass head, like literally this big, ears pointed straight up. That's what he's described. So I don't know anything more. Oh my word. <laughs> yes, that would be an that accurate must demonstration. Be so scary. I can't even imagine. So <laughs> I do not like that. At rabbit all. Head. So. Farmer John, I like referring to him as Farmer John for some reason, but he shoots at this creature and it kind of just vanishes. And he's like, all right, whatever. And others start seeing things as well. Um, His son, Drew, approaches an unknown bird that he says was perched on a fence. And when he got close to it, uh, it flew off and he said it was of extraordinary size. So it was a very large bird, maybe Thunderbird. Yes. Betsy, the daughter, she witnessed a girl in a green dress swinging from a limb of an oak tree. Couldn't, she couldn't identify no, who it was. They were just kind of gone. Um, Dean, one of the Bell's slaves, 
He claimed to be followed by a large black dog with two heads on evenings he would go to visit his wife. I'm sorry, we have to get a divorce. That's a hellhound. He, it's true love. He's that's not going to divorce us. What wife. is a hellhound? Are y'all going to do a story over that? Mm-hmm. The hounds that drag you to hell. It's the dogs that drag yeah. you to hell. But I thought they had Long three story heads, short. not two. That's Cer- is it Cerberus? Cer- oh, Cerberus yeah. has three heads. Cerberus has three okay. heads, yeah. But technically, I think yeah, Cerberus could hell, be considered a hellhound. It's like the... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so... Soon after, in the actual Bell home, they begin hearing knocking along the walls and doors, gnawing on the beds, invisible dogs fighting, and they could hear chains being rattled or dragged on the floor. Yes. I'm sorry. No. By invisible dogs fighting, do you mean literally barking at each other and like hearing the sounds of claw marks on flesh or do you mean like dogs fighting each other so like if my dogs were to stand right here and all of a sudden start fighting that is what they would hear but they couldn't see dogs there were no dogs okay i'm honestly glad that she said that because i was really imagining like a fucking you know like dog ring you know like well, that's what people the- would do they well they they would put dogs you know and right. they'd fight each other and they would Right, that's the One sound of that it them. makes. So, like, barking and growling and snapping at each other. Like, that's, that's what they're hearing is a, a dog fight. Um, um, I don't like the rattling chains, because when we were younger, and, I mean, still now with the great-grands, my grandparents, my grandpa specifically, would threaten us, you know, with joking. It wasn't like the boogeyman or anything. There was two. And there was rattling chains and red eyes. And that's what he was kind of like. Oh, there's a monster under my bed. No, there's no monster. That's just rattling chains and red um, eyes. Maybe it was a poltergeist. I don't know. But maybe you were maybe you were cursed. So the family then started seeing that sugar would be missing from like th- their bowls where they kept it. Uh, milk would just randomly be spilled. And then Esther Bell claimed to have witnessed an apparition of what she called the witch family bouncing on saplings in the field just across from their home. Spoiled milk. Wouldn't that be considered, you spilled. know, like a build milk well y- yes but build milk you know I-, I don't know you know if you're too lazy to clean it up you know after a day or so it'd be spoiled right well it's, it's not that it's spoiled it's that it's they're putting their milk away and it's all of a sudden being tipped over so it's getting spilled but yeah you know if they didn't catch it within like a day it'd be considered spoiled they have a i don't know where you're getting the word spoiled from because i said nothing about spoiled never mind Forget well, they I have a anything. family of of nine children. Like, they're using the milk regularly. Okay. So, for things to sense. just be tipped over and no one to have actually picked it up is strange for them. Like this little witch family that she's watching out in the fields and, uh-uh. How I understood it is about? she just kind of saw, like, orbs kind of bouncing around in the cornfields and just having fun, I guess. That's the last time I go to the cornfield. Well, they're farmers. She doesn't have a choice. Soon after... Sheets began being pulled from the children's beds as they slept. The kids then began having their hair pulled, being scratched, and the youngest daughter, Betsy, very specifically, she would be slapped, pinched, stuck with pins like a living voodoo doll, and this would get to the point that Betsy would have handprints on her face, welts, and bruises covering her face and arms from the abuse. What did did Betsy do to anybody? Little Betsy's just over here playing with dolls and being the youngest. The witch reportedly would laugh at the discomfort of her victims on when she performed these quote unquote pranks. And so they could hear this witch laughing when everyone's like, oh, I just got stuck with a stuck with a pin or something. 
Now, at first, uh, John Bell Sr. had sworn his family to secrecy. And he's like, don't tell anyone. They're going to think we're absolutely crazy. But it kept escalating. So they did actually get the help of a family friend, James Johnston. Now, just a little background on James. He was a devout Christian. He was considered to be an expert on the Bible and Christianity. He actually was illiterate, so he couldn't read or write, but he still did know, like, the Bible backwards, forwards, and Christianity all over. He was also a soldier in the Revolutionary War. He was initially a skeptic. He's like, okay, John, whatever, you have some witch in your house, like, I don't believe you. But James and his wife stayed at the Bell's residence for a night, and he, that night they stayed, stayed there, he was awakened in the night by the same phenomena, phenomena, phenomenons. I don't know what the people saying. <laughs> Can't say that word. Anyways, so sheets being pulled off of him, hearing voices. He's just everything. And in the morning, James Johnston told John Bell that there was, quote, an evil spirit, a demon, just like in the Bible. Yeah, because the Bell witch is like, I got you, son. Yeah, you gonna believe today. Yes. So soon after this, the word of the Bell witch spreads and people started traveling to see this haunting, which they call the witch. And the witch actually begins to speak out loud in a feminine voice. So at first it was kind of like a very soft, but as she's gaining power and strength, it gets louder and louder. And some people described her her voice as a nerve wracking pitch when like, and it was very displeasing. Um, but others were like, it's more sing song and spoken in like a low musical tone. So they're hearing it's the same voice, but they can kind of hear the, the voice fluctuate. Uh, and this prompts the bells to start asking, like, who are you? What do you want? And sometimes the witch would answer with, I quote, I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but have been disturbed. So now they're trying to identify this poltergeist, and it claims to be old Kate, old Kate Bates, Bats, old Kate Bats. Kate Bats was a neighbor of the bells, and Kate felt as though she had been cheated by John Bell in a land purchase. And so she was kind of bitter. And on her deathbed, it is said that she swore that she would haunt John and his family as part of her revenge. She said she used to be, like, okay, and now she's pissed. Like, she used to be, a, uh, what did she say? Not happy spirit. I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but I've been disturbed. It doesn't say she was a happy okay, yes. spirit. It just says she was once happy. Got you. Okay. And they begin calling the spirit Kate and positively, so... We're going to just call the spirit Kate going forward. Kate was known to hold conversations with individuals. Uh, one of these individuals is the son of James Johnston, John Johnston. He was known to go actually, John Johnston was known to go to the Bell's home and engage Kate in conversation at night so that the Bells could actually sleep. So he would go and be like, okay, Kate, let's, let's talk. And now Kate knew why he was doing it and it was just like distracting for her, but she did enjoy, she seemed to enjoy uh, taking part in the conversation with him. That's a real friend. Yes. Now, Bryce, I would never do that for you. Oh, I'm not doing it for you. 1,000% okay, cool. you're on your Free? own. Sorry, I'm not doing it for you either. But I, I would, think you would enjoy I it. I would do it for either of you. Okay, no, then you we call Brie. Okay, good to know. If you've got, it, <laughs> you've got a bell witch down. in your house, call Brie, okay? Yes. So, Kate also reportedly shook Calvin Johnston's hand, which again is the son of James Johnston, the family friend. And this is reportedly the only man she ever allowed to shake her hand. And it said that Kate loved Calvin and that she would tell others, and I quote, there's no finer man in this country than Calvin Johnston. So Kate loved him. Get it, girl. Get it, ghost. Get it, witchy poo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so obviously she's very chatty. And 
there's more reports from the Bell's slave, which is his name is Dean. Uh, reportedly, she turned Dean into a mule, stating that she would ride him to hell for breakfast. Oh. She turned him into a mule. Reportedly. And, and then back to a man. She rode him to her own breakfast, not she said she, she would. Killed him as he would be her next breakfast. No. I am going to use that from here on out instead of like hell in a handbasket. It's going to be like I'm a- hell on a donkey for breakfast. <laughs> I'm going to turn you into a mule. Dean also said he had his head split open by a large rabbit. And after this happened, he did have a large scar on his head. How does a rabbit split a head open? It's a large rabbit. I'm, I'm sorry. Excuse I'm me. Sorry. How does a hair split your head open? I don't know. <laughs> um, there are reports that in reality, this claim was likely from a beating that a local planter who rented, I don't like that verbiage either, rented Dean from the Bells. So they take Dean, he does his work, and this other planter beat him um, so severely that he had a scar. John Bell apparently uh, on this report was pissed off and he did reportedly pursue legal a- action against this other planter. So from what I gathered, the Bells actually treated their their um, their slaves. I don't like that word. I don't like that. I don't like it. But anyways, they did treat their slaves pretty well. Now we've got Reverend Sugfort, John Bell Sr. Sorry, wait, sorry. I was I was trying to say something for like 30 seconds, but it just didn't pick up. I apologize. But I mean, I'm glad that that is that they did treat them well, because I feel like a lot of people at that time did not and just kind of abused them or did terrible things to them. And I'm glad that he did and that he was pissed off and that he actually, you know, sought some sort of justice for that. Reverend Sugfort, John Bell Sr., James Johnston, and Reverend Thomas Gunn, they formed a committee that was tasked with determining where Kate came from, so like her origins. Now, Kate would offer different reasons as to why she had suddenly appeared. Um, It tied, like she kind of claimed like, oh, it's because you guys disturbed uh, a Native American burial mound that was on the property, or... In one instance, she set, uh, sent Drury and his friend Bennett Porter on a, f- on a hunt for buried treasure. They did not find the treasure, so don't get excited there. Now, That's it was never- my family's treasure. Thank you very much. The end. It's actually old Kate Bat's treasure, so good try. So the witch, her main targets, it was never clarified why she was there. Like, no one really knows. Actually, no, that's not true. I'll tell you in a bit her real reasoning. but. Her main targets were John Sr. and poor little Betsy. And it's possible that Betsy was a target because she was the favorite of John Sr.'s. Um, And it said that the spirit would throw furniture and dishes at them. She would pull their noses, pull their hair, poke needles into them. She would yell all night long to keep them from sleeping. And she would steal food from their mouths at mealtime. Yes. Okay. Question number one. Can I look at the first picture in the drive? Oh, you can look at any of them right now. I don't even have them ordered. Okay. Question two. Um, when you say throw furniture, do you mean literally throwing couches at them? I assume Because, I mean, so. you know me. I just, I just assume the biggest thing. I assume she was picking up Shit. the whole everything in the house. Oh, my oh. word. I and dare I, somebody to take food out of my mouth. That's where I draw the line. You can throw a couch at me. 
Don't you dare take my noodles off of my fork. I will be damned. Okay. I will sage the shit out this house. In one article, it was said that while Andrew Jackson was there, he heard Betsy screaming all night from the harassment of Kate. That same night, Jackson's covers were ripped off of him almost as soon as he had put them over him. So, like, he pulls them up. He's like, okay, bedtime. And then they're yanked off. <laughs> that is his fucking wife. creepy as hell. I'm literally one of those people who has to have the fucking covers over me at night. Like, mm-hmm. if, if I don't have them, then there's no way of me going to sleep. If you rip them off of me, then fuck you. Mm-hmm. You most likely know that you've been watching me for, you know, five days, what, whatever, five nights, five sleeps. You've been watching me for five sleeps. I've been watching you for about three months. I just didn't know the right time to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Anyways. my laugh, but I was laughing so fucking hard. <laughs> Anyways, now that we've got that out of the way. Uh, I feel so yeah. much better. <laughs> Jackson's whole party. Amanda, been- it's okay. I still love you. Uh, Jackson's whole party also experienced being slapped, pinched, and having their hair pulled at night. No. So all of his party had an experience. And these are all military men. Like every last one of them. How did uh, they act? They were frightened. They did not enjoy that. And uh, they did leave pretty quickly. Uh, Jackson is actually quoted saying, I'd rather rather fight the British in New Orleans than have to fight the Bell Witch. I feel that. Yes. Brie. Yes. Um, I believe it's actually pronounced New Orleans. I believe it's New Orleans. Or New, New Orleans. Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. I don't think it matters. No. We're not going to get into Colorado, uh, Colorado. <laughs> we're not going to get into that debate. So I was actually at in Jackson's party. One man claimed to be a witch tamer. And after hours of nothing happened, he's this witch tamer pulls out this pistol and he's like, well, it's got a silver bullet in it. So she's this witch is afraid. That's why nothing's happened is because I've got my silver bullet that can kill any evil spirit. Yes, Amanda. Does he get his ass handed to him? Because I hope he gets his ass handed to him. I will tell you in a minute. Yes, Bree. Did he say exactly that quote? <laughs> no. Did you that was just... me paraphrasing. <laughs> okay. I think that was hands down the best version of a 1900s man I have ever heard in my entire life. So I even had the finger gun. Yes, you did. So I was really, pre- I was dedicated to that. Okay. So anyways, he's like, yes, this is super is scared of me. And immediately after he says this, he begins screaming and jerking his body all around, stating that he was being stuck with pins and beaten severely. Something then kicked his ass, like literally kicked him in the ass, and he went flying out the front door. So something literally kicked him out. And the whole party heard a voice that claimed there was another fraud in Jackson's party and that she would identify that fraud the following evening. If it were me, I would leave right then. Jackson really wanted to stay, actually, but his men were like, no, please, please, let's go. So they spent the night and they were actually seen the following morning leaving. So they did not stay. She did not unmask another fraud. Shit, I would be too, though. That's fucking creepy. Well, Jackson's like, Mm-mm, I want to stay. I want to know who this fraud is. This fraud? At point, what kind of technology do they have to fucking be a fraud ghost that no one has ever seen before? They're ta- he's talking about the men in his party. There's like another man in his party that's not who they say they are. Not the ghost. Oh. Mm-hmm. Might be. So. Well, I mean, still, what kind of fucking technology does this man have to prove that he's a ghost? Who's got the bell witch? Boot in his ass. Pins in his side. But 
voices in his head? Well, okay. I got those. <laughs> I guess they're not in his head. Everyone can hear them. So, I think anybody else can hear them, man. I can hear Amanda, it. I can hear your okay. thoughts right now. So anyway, I know exactly what you're thinking. So it said that Drury Bell lives in constant fear of Kate. He just harbored bitter feelings because of Betsy's treatment. Like he was so afraid of Kate because of how Betsy was treated. Kate also took to calling Farmer John Bell Sr. Old Jack. So that's her nickname for him. And and as time goes on, Kate just kind of keeps displaying her her power. She's like, mm, don't worry, I know what I'm doing. And she is able to recite two different sermons word for word. Now, the thing with this is that these sermons were done on the same day at the exact same time, 13 miles apart. So she was in two places at one time. Technically three, right? Or well, was she, she recited was she them later? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, I still don't like it. Kate was known to be well acquainted with biblical te- text. Um, she apparently really enjoyed religious arguments. She liked the debate. She liked to cause problems. Um, she also really enjoyed to share gossip about other households in the area. <laughs> so, on I mean, occasion, I don't blame her. On occasion, Kate would appear to like briefly leave to visit the other home, like if someone inquired about the gossip. So she's like, "Let me go get you some juice." <laughs> She's let's be friends. Well, I mean, maybe not. Sorry, Kate, but you are slapping people. Um, John Johnston, the son of James. But Johnston. at the same time, that is the best way to be ghost-like in a way, you know. Uh, just give me the gossip. Go to the neighbor's house. Tell me what's going on. Exactly. Exactly. And but then don't that slap way, me. You know, you can you can possess that neighbor. You can possess the neighbor. They're not. She's not even possessing them. She's just. Well, listening. I mean, if. Yeah, you know, go get the tea, come back, spill the milk. Shit. So, anyway, got it. So John Johnston, son of James Johnston, decided to devise a test, and John is the one that would go over at night and like keep Kate busy to talk. So Kate would go and gossip. Now John Johnston, son of James Johnston, decided to devise a test for Kate, and John is the one that would sit with them at night, like sit with Kate and talk to her at night, so that the bells could get some sleep. Her boyfriend. Her well, no, because she likes Calvin. Oh, okay. I got the um, two confused. Yeah. Her boy toy. No, because she just yeah. knows she knows that she's being used by John to like, or she knows like she's kind of being manipulated, and so she's like, I do it because we debate shit, but I don't like it. So anyway, so he's like kind of the best friend type, as in you know he'll always be friend zone no matter what. Sure. So he decided to ask her a question that only his family would know, and so he's like, okay, Kate, since you're so powerful. He asks what his Dutch step-grandmother would say to slaves when she thought they had done something wrong. And Kate replied in his grandmother's voice and accent, Hut tut, what has happened now? Which is what she would say to slaves. Okay, uh, uh, in uh, her uh, accent? That yeah. is creepy as In her fuck. voice. Well, I no. mean, yeah, in, in her voice, that's what I meant. In the grandmother's voice. And like, in the accent, that is creepy as hell. No, I don't like it. Um, on another occasion, an Englishman had stopped to visit and offered to investigate Kate. Like, he's, the people are traveling far and wide to come investigate. And he, when he started, he's like, sure, Kate. And so he was a skeptic of her and her powers. And he mentioned at one point that his family was overseas, but he didn't really go into, like, a lot of detail. But then, Kate begins mimicking his English parents. So, she- so she's like sounding like them, and she's well, shit, them. she must have visited them as well. Well, 
Little trip to England. This man was awoken in the middle of the night to the sound of his parents' voices. And when he finally got back home to England, you know, clear across the ocean, he found that his parents had a similar experience, except they heard his voice. And so it seems that his Kate had possibly visited his parents, again, possibly at the same time as she was mimicking his parents. Yes. Okay, so you say possibly. You may not actually know the answer to my next question. Do you know if it was at the same time, such as if That's what I just said. Okay. Yeah, so it was at the same time that, um, so when he heard his parents, they heard him at the same time. But I thought you said, but, but, but I thought you said possibly. It is possibly. It's not confirmed. Okay, so it's not confirmed. This whole story is possibly. Okay. Can't confirm a poltergeist. But uh, the Englishman ends up writing to the bells to apologize for his skepticism because he's like i'm so sorry tell kate i suck and i'm there there they go now i know we've only talked about like kate's negative traits but she actually has some good a good side to her so she did have some kindness kate really liked first of all she really liked calvin her and calvin besties um but she also really liked lucy bell who's the mother the matriarch of the family and she considered Lucy, and I quote, the most perfect woman to walk the earth. She very much likes Lucy. Uh, she would give Lucy fresh fruits when she was sick, and she would sing hymns into her ear. Yes, Brie. Oh, so sweet. Oh. She's beating oh, the shit out of her so youngest sweet. daughter. That's not but, Where do you get fruit? But I, I, I was just about to go into that. Give me a second. Anyways, I know that you're not paused. I know that she's faking me out. So chill out. A hard position to hold. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, when you don't mean to, but it literally looks like it for, as I said, five to ten seconds. Anyways, um, okay. So that's so sweet, but Calvin liked Betsy, right? So no, who did Calvin like then? No one. Calvin was just I, there. I literally Kate, thought you said like Kate likes Calvin. Okay. Okay, so Kate likes Calvin. Who does Calvin like? I don't know. I didn't get into his who he married or anything. Okay, he might have married so then, one of the Bells, for all I know. So then it was a fucking love triangle triangle square. It was um, a love rhombus. I don't know how it's a love rhombus. I don't know how it's a love anything. We haven't well, even I gone mean, into the love triangle I yet. mean, if Kate loved Calvin and Calvin loved... I'm sorry, say her name again. Kate? Calvin didn't love anyone. He was just there. No, 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 no. Kate loved Calvin and somebody else loved Calvin as well. Kate also loved Lucy. Oh. So this is the witch being like, I really like Calvin and I really like Lucy and I really like so and so and so. So she's not, it's not, there's no love triangle yet. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. I don't know yes, why Amanda. I thought that Calvin liked Betsy. I, I don't know. I just, I guess I just made we all love Betsy already. I'm sorry. I know that question hasn't been answered. I'm sorry, we didn't even establish your question in the genre of questions. Please question where, once again. Where do ghosts get fruit? Do uh-huh. they have a fruit stand? I don't know. Maybe she picked it from a tree outside and was like, here, bitch, you're sick. This will make you feel better. I don't okay. know. Yes, Brie. I thought ghosts could not pick up humanly things. Therefore, you know, I mean, well, my phone, for example, you know, it would just fall. Ow! Oh, shit! She's not technically a ghost. She's a poltergeist. 
Way to go. Okay, you know, it would, it would just, you know, like fall right out of my hands, right? You know? Well, she's a, okay, not necessarily a rule either. Yeah. Hands. Yeah, that's why, like, when people have ghosts or they have poltergeists, you know, you hear stuff going missing and then turning up. We ghosts also- can 100% grab stuff if they're strong enough. Uh-huh. We just don't know where it goes when they do. Also remember, at the be- also, remember at the beginning, we established that Kate was throwing furniture at them and dishes yeah. and stealing You're their right. food. right. That's because she lost at Monopoly. So then she was, she was really powerful table. then, right? Yeah, she was. So um, From the very beginning. <clears throat> yes. She so must have like, had a really big love for Calvin. I'm sorry. Keep going. Keep going. I don't know why Calvin keeps coming up. I say one thing about Calvin being loved, and we can't and, drop it. And the mother. Lucia, you said? Lucy. And the mother. Lucy? Lucy. Lucy. Yep. That's it. Lucy Bell. I'm sorry. So allegedly, Kate also really liked Jesse Bell, the oldest son. Um, and we know this because he, Kate supposedly informed Lucy that he had returned safely from a business trip and was at his home reading a book. Like she was checking in on him and then reporting back to Lucy. And the next day, Jesse, like, obviously he doesn't know this has happened. And Jesse visits his family the next morning. And he's like, yeah, this was really weird. My front door randomly opened and shut while he was reading the night before. That's not weird. You have, uh, there's someone in your house, bro. Go get your china and your silverware. He likes so, him, though. So you're telling me that he literally returned, and then that night he was reading, and somebody entered his... The front door opened and closed while he was reading, and his mother was told that he was home safe reading. Holy shit. So two separate incidents. Um, so Kate also really liked Jesse's wife, Martha, and Kate gave Martha a pair of black stockings as a gift and Kate requested that Martha be buried in those black stockings. Before you ask, it is not known if she was buried in the black stockings. Is that normal for the times? I think it was normal for the times to be buried in black stockings. I don't think it's normal to have it gifted by a ghost. Gotcha. Okay. So That answers my question. Thank you. Yes. Um, Kate also had a lot of respect for John Bell Jr. Um, John Bell Jr. actually was the harshest critic of her. He was like... He would yell at her, curse her out, and he would full-on challenge Kate. And this kind of, in Kate's eyes, was like, well, I respect you now. Um, And so Kate did mention that he was very intelligent, and she held the utmost respect for him. Now, Kate did have a good side. We've just talked about that. But we also already know that she had a very negative side. And she claimed that she intended to kill old Jack, so John Bell Sr. Uh, She had made her intentions very clear. She intended to do this through curses, threats, and afflictions, such as illness and that type of thing. In about or around 1819, Farmer John Sr., he begins experiencing paralysis in his mouth. Um, It's believed that he possibly suffered a stroke um, and he began having difficulty speaking, swallowing, um, and things like that after this. He was in and out of bed for weeks and his health just declined. Now, John Bell Sr. would eventually become confined to the house and Kate would continuously remove his shoes while he tried to walk slap his face after he recovered from seizures and she could be heard chastising him at all hours. They married? Not with Kate. Yeah, but that's what it sounds like. Like you're just nagging him of all, like wake up at three in the morning. What was his name? John or Jack? John. She, uh, Kate she calls him, him old Jack, Jack, right? Yeah. Old Jack. <laughs> old Jack, did you take the trash out? But also yeah. slapping him after he's recovered from a seizure. Taking his shoes off while he's walking? Excuse me, like impressive, I must say. I'm quite enthralled. She, oh, yeah, she's pretty. His shoes off while walking, creepy. 
I imagine. I envision like he lifts a foot and she, you know how like someone steps on the back of your shoe and they do like the flat tire thing? That's what I'm envisioning her doing is just walking behind him, stepping on it so the shoe slides off his heel. The next step is every step he takes, or like, you know, the next step up for me this year is every step he takes, you run into his heels with a Walmart shopping cart. I'm sorry. I'm sure as soon have. as you said that, I just got the police song stuck in my head. Every step you take, every move <laughs> you make. I'll take I'll your shoes. <laughs> every breath you take, every something, something, something. I'll be taking your shoes. <laughs> oh, yes, that was Kate's anthem. Um, on December 19th, 1820, old Jack Bell slips into a coma. On December 20th, 1820, old Jack Bell or John Bell Sr. dies. Immediately after his death, his family finds a strange vial with a black liquid in the cupboard. And John Jr. is like, well, no one knows what this is. And so he grabs the cat and he sprinkles two drops on the cat's tongue. And the cat died almost instantly. Okay, sir. Like, you could, there wasn't a plant near? A house plant? You'd use the cat? I don't know if they had house plants. Well, I guarantee you there's a patch of grass out back. I don't like how country I sounded yeah, right then. There we go. <laughs> yeah, come on. House plants were not around at that time. I don't think they were as common like they were already a farmer they had plants all over the place okay mm -hmm. um kate then exclaimed i gave old jack a big dose of that last night which fixed him and reportedly john jr was pissed and he throws the vial into the fireplace and it burst into like a bright blue flame and shoots up the chimney <laughs> yes please. oh what does fixed him mean in fixed. or fixed him fixed yeah so fixed she him. killed him she murdered him like, she fixed him right up. Mm-hmm. Not in a good way. Yeah, no. So, basically, okay. basically, Kate is like, well, I poisoned Jack. My initial intent of coming here was to kill him. Um, and that's what she actually claims, is that she had come to kill Jack. Not Jack. John Sr. And old she, Jack. Just, old Jack. And she just accomplished that. Now, at John Bell's funeral... Uh, the, he he actually had a funeral funeral that was one of the largest ever in the area. Like that just kind of goes to show how well respected they were. Plus the story of the Bell Witch. So like, there's a lot of things going on. And stay, Kate stayed quiet during the eulogies. She didn't really say anything. She was just like, "I got my way." Anyways, and as the mourners begin leaving the gravesite, Kate begins laughing and singing drinking songs. Will you please let us know what drinking songs mean? As in, please like, give us an example. They're songs about alcohol. Shot, 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 <laughs> shot, 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 shot. I believe <laughs> that was made in the roughly 2000s. So in please give us a more. It was in um, 1820 when Kate initially created it and she went, shot, 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 shot. I don't know any <laughs> drinking songs from 1820. Uh, it was something about whiskey and bourbon. I don't know. Wait. Amanda, are you okay? <laughs> I don't know what you're laughing at. But... 99 Kate... bottles of beer on the grave. The wall. I was going to say the grave, yeah. And she sang it until everybody was gone. She did, actually. <laughs> so anyways, so Kate did actually sing until the final mourner left the gravesite. She was like, party. Um, and after this, Kate kind of was virtually non-existent. She didn't really bother the family very much until uh -oh. Betsy Bell becomes interested in Joshua Gardner. And they actually had everyone's blessing 
to marry and they got engaged. They, however, did not get Kate's blessing and she was pissed and she made it known. Kate reportedly told Betsy, you will not have a happy life with Joshua Gardner and future generations will see it true. And she orders Betsy not to marry Josh and she's she's tormenting and harassing Betsy all over again. And the couple couldn't actually do anything without Kate there nagging them all the time. Like, no, you guys can't get married. Not not on my watch. That's because Kate said chicks before dicks and Betsy was like, nah, I really like this dude, though. Okay, but Kate also beat the shit out of Betsy. But she brought her oranges also. No, she did not. She brought Lucy oranges. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. (laughs) There's too many people in this story. Well, don't have nine kids and there won't be too many people. Okay. Noted. I, I agree. There are way too many people in this story. In 1821 on Easter, I think it was Easter Monday and I forgot a word. Betsy Bell calls off their engagement, uh, calls off her engagement to Joshua Gardner as a result of Kate's treatment. And part of her concern with this is that she was very fearful that the man she loved would suffer the same fate as her father at Kate's hands. That's really sad. So she, her one true love, she's like, I'm sorry, I can't let you die. We can't get married because of Kate. And so Betsy calls it off. After Betsy calls off the engagement, Kate tells now widowed Lucy Bell that she's going to leave. But it's only going to be for seven years. And Kate is a ghost of her word and she leaves. And this is in 1821. She just, bye-bye, no more Kate. In 1828, seven years later, Kate returns and a lot of same activity as before, uh, not quite as violent, but Lucy and her two younger sons, Joel Richard, uh, Joel and Richard, they decide, okay, we're just ignoring this. Like, we're not going to encourage her. We want her to just go away. That works and Kate appears to leave again. But before she does, she talks to John Bell Jr. Still in 1828, it's said that Kate shares her predictions of major world events with John Bell Jr., these are things such as the Civil War, World War I, and World War II. So she gives him predictions or prophecies of sorts about these three major events that at least two of them don't happen in his lifetime. I don't remember what year he died, so I don't think he was alive for the Civil War. Um, and it's also said that John Jr. was the first and last person Kate visited in 1828. So she initially goes see, to see John Jr., and then she gives him prophecies and bounces after she bugs everyone else. And so three weeks later, she's gone. And she actually promises to return in 107 years. Now, if she did return, no one has owned up to an encounter with her. And that would have been in 1935. So it's not clear if she did or if she didn't. And so she leaves for the final time. And after she leaves, it's said that Betsy refuses to speak of Kate. And she lived in fear of her return based off of her saying that she was going to come back in 107 years. And it's still said to this day that Kate haunts the bell caves in the area. Now, there are skeptics, because as we've established, what's a paranormal story without the skeptics? There are written accounts of the bell witch, and a lot of these written accounts are considered to be a hoax. And one of those is, uh, a, a, what is it? Where am I looking? So this hoax was the authenticated history of the bell witch, which was written by Martin V. Ingram in 1894. So a lot of people believed, okay, Martin just made up this whole Bell Witch. Like, none of this is even true, blah, blah, blah. Um, But actually, in 2020, it's believed that they found earlier literature about the Bell Witch that that contradicted this hoax theory. And so some people still believe that uh, Martin Ingram made the whole thing up. Some people are like, no, 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 there's new documents that show that the Bell Witch was documented before 1894. And keep in mind, this all happened in 1820s. So years and years and years later. A lot of people, again, they still believe Ingram was the one that penned all the new information, um, and he's the perpetrator. 
Other explanations state that it was a hoax by Richard Powell. You guys, do you remember who Richard Powell is? Nope. No idea. I didn't think you would because I mentioned him at the very beginning. This is the man that Betsy actually ends up marrying after she breaks off her engagement to Joshua Gardner. So So he was accepted by Kate. Or at least not. Yes. Or he made up the the entire story because he didn't want anybody else to think that Betsy married another man because he was incompetent. Betsy never married another man. But so. Well. It's believed that Richard. So Richard was Betsy's school teacher and he was about 11 years her senior. And it said that Powell was in love with Betsy and that he very much also disapproved of the engagement to Joshua Gardner. And he was like, how fucking Kate's right, damn it. But some people believe that with help, he was able to create the illusion of the Bell Witch. He was well-versed in ventriloquism and he was a mathematical genius. Uh, He was well-versed in horticulture and geology. And they basically are like, he figured out a way to trick all of these people into believing that there is a Bell Witch. And that they're being haunted. There are no theories, however, that state how he accomplished any of the throwing furniture, um, slapping the shit out of people, anything like that. But it's still a widely believed theory. There are other accounts that claim that Powell was involved with the occult. Uh, Many of the children of the town and in the story claim to have at one time or another heard Powell uttering incantations. So maybe it's because he was involved in the occult. Maybe it was just a mathematical problem. Possibly. Um, as for John Sr.'s death, most believe that it was likely a, neurologi- a neurological disorder. Um, it was a time that really not much was known about neurological disorders, so there were no treatments. But several, year- several years after his de- death, the um, disease Bell palsy was discovered. Uh, and it's believed that he had many of the symptoms that mimicked Bell's palsy. And no, it was not named after John Bell. It was named after someone else. That was just coincidentally had the last name Bell. Uh, And Bell palsy is a condition that can cause temporary weakness, paralysis of the muscles in the face, and it could cause paralysis in one side of the face or both uh, cause drooping face, headaches, loss of taste, increased sensitivity to sound, dry eye, and dry mouth. So it's believed that his early symptoms just aligned well with this Bell's palsy. Now, to this day, the amount of credible witnesses and this significant historical features that make or in the story, make this a highly debated story because no one can actually, obviously no one can figure out if it's true, if it's fiction. And so that's the story of the Bell Witch. That was actually very interesting. I was intrigued the entire time. I mean, I feel like I kind of agree that a lot of the stories can't be corroborated, but at the same time- None of them can be. But at the same time, they're very specific events. Listen, the Porter's, are part of the bell line apparently and so the bell witch if she's gonna go visit any of us it's gonna be you brie porter let's pour, pour. <laughs> family trying. reunion porter let's go there we go a we poltergeist reunion with mm-hmm. the uh with the her- the heritage that's not the right line ancestral I line i don't know what the hell i'm trying to say ancestors no i'm trying to say like downstream ancestors is wrong way oh. descendants Descendants, okay. I can only think of offspring, and that was not right at all. I mean, I guess it wasn't completely wrong, but... but. So there you guys have it. I seriously had so much fun reading about this, because I was like, no fucking way. No way. There's just no way. I love the Bell Witch. I love, like, that is a good story. 
I love her, but also, please don't slap Betsy. Like, she didn't even do anything. Poor Betsy, man. She can't control that she's the favorite. <laughs> she was not the favorite. She was literally the... She was the favorite of her dad's. Yeah, but literally, Kate hated her. Oh, Yeah, but she was the favorite of her dad's, and that's why Kate targeted her. Because she hated the dad. Yeah. Okay. So she hated the dad, and since she hated the dad, she hated... Man. At least that's what I assume is just like additional mental torture right there. Like you're so hated that because you like this child, I'm going to beat the shit out of this child too. That makes sense in a very messed up way. Yes. Yes, it does. Anyways, any, any more questions, comments, or concerns about the bill, Witch? no, we're not going to the bill caves. My dad already said, no, um, I don't care what your dad said. We're going to go. You know, my dad listens and I get calls every week when you say that type of shit. I, I don't get the calls. That's to give out your you, number girl. and be like, call Brie. Call, just call her. It's her problem. Hey, you, you got my phone that. number. So literally just let him know that he can just call me, you know, and be like, That's what I'm saying. hey, yo, what up? Um, no, you ain't. Uh, yes, I am. I, I don't well, know what, saw what the I... equivalent of ain't to am would be, but, you know, like the uh, opposites of ain't. I don't know what that would be, but. You know what? Ain't ain't a word ain't going to be. Say ain't three times. You ain't go- five times. You ain't going to heaven. Ain't, 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 ain't. Ain't, ain't a word, ain't gonna be, say, ain't five times and you ain't going to heaven. So you ain't going to heaven either. I've said it more than five times. Say it. Yeah, you said it ten times. Well, I'm good. I passed that quota. No. Literally. It says five times. No, it literally said said more than five five times. times. So you said it ten times. No, it does not say more. It says if you say it five times. Technically, I said it six because I said it. I've said it a lot. Actually, no, I said it like seven or eight because I was trying to find the equivalent of eight to now nine. Well, there you have it. Um, Also, my dad, I'm trying to find. I know I sent you guys a text about it. Oh, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself is what my dad will 1000% tell you. I'm sorry. The correct equivalent to that would be check yourself before you wreck yourself. Correction. Mr. Moffat. Yeah, Mr. Moffat. Cody. <laughs> Damn it, Cody. Listen, my dad is not going to be thrilled with you for calling him Mr. Moffat. Oh, Mr. God. I'm Rude. sorry. I did not know your maiden name, okay? That, that is not on me. That is on you for not telling me. Straight up. Being like... Amanda knew. Yeah, it's also on Mr. Facebook. Moffitt. <laughs> dad, I do not sponsor any of this. I am out this of this. Mr. I get it. This is not my problem. Dad, don't even yell at me. Don't even call me. I don't want to hear it. Okay, but at the same time, you never told me your main name. You never name, asked. So, je ne sais pas. You je never ne- asked. Je ne sais pas. Also, I am fairly certain I have that. I have my maiden name posted on Facebook still. Also, we've covered it in a past episode. That. Thank you, Amanda. I Actually, the Dorothea Puente episode. We were talking about time. Hispanic last names. That's true. Yeah, it's been. You just don't listen. We talked about it in the Dorothea Puente. Okay. You know what? I actually have an excuse for that because I have ADHD and I can literally retain about maybe 75% of what I actually listen to unless I have. Su- actually, no. Even if I have subtitles, it's extremely rare for me to be able to remember 100% of a conversation. I try so fucking hard. I swear. I try so hard. It is just so hard for me to memorize like an entire conversation. That Oh, I I that part is on me. I didn't even remember that. I didn't even remember we had that conversation. Amanda did. 
Yeah, and I don't know why, because I can't remember still. Amanda, you are the goddess of Hell on Heels. You're the goddess of the Hellions. We bow to you. I'm Please not shout. bowing. I don't want to. I don't like it. Hey, wait. Can I just <laughs> I do? Can we just do this as your like salute? <laughs> can we? Yeah. I'm okay with this. Yes, I can live with that. Yeah, just flip me off. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening to Hell on Heels podcast. Pod blah blah podcast. Podcast. I already got it. Podcast. It's it's okay. I still episode, corrected you. You can follow us on Instagram at Hell on Heels Podcast or Twitter at Hell on Heels Pod or Facebook by searching Hell on Heels Podcast. You can find us on Linktree by typing in Hell on Heels Podcast in the Linktree search. If you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support one step further so we can create more content for you, you can donate through Patreon where we're working to release specials for Patreon. If you have your own true crime or paranormal stories, suggestions, or words of encouragement, please email us at hellonheelspodcast at gmail.com. And thank you all so much for listening. Uh, be, tell, be sure to tell your friends to listen, kind of get in a groove with them. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. This has been Hell on Heels Podcast. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye. <laughs>